0: Luke 2, we'll be reading the entire passage, really, that's bracketed by he's presented in the temple, and then you find Jesus in the temple when he's a 12 year old boy. So, Luke 2, verses 22 to 52. Luke 2, 22 to 52. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to Him of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group... They went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. That you don't leave us alone and clueless about you, clueless about our salvation, clueless about how to receive you. God, that you give us your word to instruct us. Lord, I pray this morning that we might see you in your word, that we might behold you. That, Lord, you would speak to us anew through your word, by your Holy Spirit. Would your word permeate our thinking? Would your word permeate our feeling? Lord, would your word inform us and transform us? God, we pray that you would empower this to happen by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Well, life is filled with all kinds of waiting, isn't it? Life is filled with all kinds of waiting. It's filled with waiting from the very beginning. When we're kids, we we wait to walk. We wait. For good grades at the end of school, we wait and hope for different seasons of the year. Some of us, as, as kids, really waited for summer vacation every year and longed for that. Maybe you were waiting for someone to love and someone to get married to, and we wait and hope to finish school or to start a career. Some may wait and hope for that next season of life, waiting for this season of life to get over so they can go to the next and there's all kinds of things that we can wait for. And often, though, when we get them, it's not what we expect. Often, waiting for things, waiting and hoping for things in this life, we find that those really aren't the things that satisfy. Those aren't really the things that fulfill us. And that's because, really, we're, we're made to wait for something else. We were made to wait on God. We were made to receive him. And this passage really reveals something about people who are waiting for him and, and how he's received by those who wait for him. See, we were, we were made to long for not a summer vacation, but we were meant to long for a restoration of our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with God, to, to be reunited with him. That's really worth the wait because all of our longings are satisfied in Jesus. And that's what we see in this passage. We see really this contrast in in waiting. And then we see these older people who are waiting. The very beginning, we can see that Mary and Joseph, they're waiting. They're they're waiting. They had given birth to Jesus. Mary had put him in a manger. And then we know that they waited eight days to go and take him to be Circumcised and then we see that Jesus really he's the answer to humanity's waiting that's what we're going to see in this passage Jesus is the answer to humanity's waiting they're they're waiting Eight days, they take him up to the temple to be circumcised according to the law, and then they wait even longer. This passage kind of condenses it, but there's a purification that the mother would have to go to the temple to be purified after giving birth, and then we'd have to wait a 40-day waiting period. And so they were waiting, and they go up to the temple. They have him circumcised, Then circumcised, they go up to the temple, and they're waiting for him to be purified, for, or for her to be purified, and they're waiting to dedicate him. And I can only imagine when they get there the joy that they had of of naming him Jesus the long-awaited for salvation of God Jesus that means Jehovah is salvation they're staring down at their baby and realizing at least in part this is Jehovah is salvation their wait is over And Luke wants the reader to see that. He's highlighting here the salvation of Jesus and that he is the long-awaited answer. They go, they perform the rites of purification, they give an offering, they give a poor person's offering. Typically it would be a lamb and then a dove for purification and forgiveness of sins, but they can't afford that. They give two turtle doves... But their sacrifice was pleasing to God. The time of waiting was over. Jesus had finally come. And then we see that, that idea of, of waiting being over confirmed by these, these two old people that come up to them in the temple courtyard. They're going to present baby Jesus, they're going to dedicate him to the Lord, and then they get interrupted by this really old man. And what we can see from both. Simeon and from Anna is that Jesus is for those who are waiting for the consolation and redemption of Israel that's what that's what Simeon was I mean Simeon was a man he says he was waiting for the consolation he was waiting for comfort and Anna she's waiting for redemption together they're waiting for the comfort and redemption of the Lord and they have been waiting their entire lives we don't know exactly how old Simeon is but he's ready to die He's an old man, and he's, he's ready to die, but he said that, that God had promised him that he would, he, would not, he would not have to wait past his death because salvation would come to him before he died. He wouldn't see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And I just picture the scene. Mary and Joseph, they're walking up into the temple courtyard, and they're holding their baby. They're proud that finally the waiting's over. They can come and dedicate him to the Lord. They can make his name official, and, and this old guy kind of comes up to them. I don't know if you've ever had this happen to them, but, but in, a, in restaurants before when we had babies, we would go to a restaurant, and people come up and like, oh, and they would grab our baby. It was something we were unfamiliar with. And we're like, can I hold him? And you're like, uh, sure. And Simeon, he goes, it doesn't say how this happened, but they didn't know him. He's this unknown man. He's not a priest, but he's a righteous, devout man. And the Holy Spirit has led him right to Mary and Joseph. The Holy Spirit has directed his path. The Holy Spirit has, has led him there. He's a man who is, who is devout. He's waiting on the Lord. He's waited his whole life for salvation. He's, he's a righteous man. He's a man who's lived his whole life for the Lord, and yet he's not seen salvation yet. But he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And Israel needed consolation because Israel was still... Under bondage to Rome. Israel was actually under bondage because of a history and a pattern of breaking the covenant with God. They had time after time broken God's covenant. Time after time been carried away into slavery. Time after time Israel was experiencing the results of their sin against God. And they were the just penalty for their sins. And yet God was merciful to them. And he had promised consolation for them. And in Simeon, he is waiting desperately in need of the consolation, the comfort that Israel needs. He's longing, he's waiting for the Christ, and, and finally that day has come. And he's, he is given that knowledge by the Holy Spirit, so he walks up to them and he takes the baby in his arms, and then immediately he knows as Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. I can only imagine his emotions after his whole lifetime of Of devout waiting patiently for God's salvation. And he he takes them, he takes the baby up into his arms. And I can't imagine the joy he would have experienced that that he's now holding the one who is Jehovah's salvation. He's holding God's Savior. The long-awaited Messiah, the the, the one who will be a light, he says, of revelation to the Gentiles who will illuminate all those who are walking in darkness, not just for the Jews. This will be glory to the Jews because it will be vindication for them that, that God is a faithful God and it will be to their glory because God has been faithful. But this salvation will also be a light to the Gentiles. And that's good news for each and every person here because most of us are Gentiles. The salvation that God... That he's brought, we no longer need to wait for. He's a light to the Gentiles, and so Simeon he immediately gives God thanks and he says, "I can die now. I can finally die. Don't die. The waiting period is over. God isn't done with old people too. That's that's, that's one of the good things to look at. Is Simeon's old here?" And God uses him mightily to prophetically receive Jesus. And and the early church called him God-receiver. He was the one who received and acknowledged Jesus as God. His whole life was, all we know about him is he was righteous and devout, and he had the privilege of receiving Jesus. God uses even old people mightily for his purposes. The older I get, the more grateful I am for that. After Simeon, he gives thanks, he blesses God, he blesses Mary and Joseph, he prophesies to them. And it's not all a happy prophecy, though. It was mixed with both hope and a warning. He says, this child Jesus will be for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that's opposed. And then he says that a sword will also pierce your side, Mary. And, and, and the, the wording he uses for sword, it says, it's a violent wording. It's, it's a sharp two-edged sword. This, this sword will pierce your very soul. And then Jesus was also given so that the hearts of many might be revealed. You didn't have to be unclear about why Jesus came. He came for the fall and rise of many. He came and he'll be a sign that's opposed. And we see that in the world around us today. But he also came so that the hearts of many might be revealed. The waiting is over. Jesus came for the fall and rising of many so that hearts might be revealed. And he comes to all of those who are looking for consolation and redemption. Simeon was speaking and then while he's speaking, this prophetess named Anna walks up. To them, We don't really know much of a background about Anna. She was from an obscure tribe of Asher, not the largest tribe, one of the more obscure tribes of Asher, and she's from this tribe. She's a prophetess, and we know that she's really old. She's a minimum of 84 years old. Um, It says that she was married for seven years and then widowed. Now, the, the original language says, for widowed for 84 years, the ESV says she was about 84 years old. We're not exactly sure, but she was at least 84. She could have been 104. This was an old woman, and yet she was waiting for redemption. And God gives his salvation to all who are waiting for consolation and redemption. She sa- he says about her that, that she is to be commended, because she was waiting, fasting and praying. And she was, it was like she was living in the temple. We you know she actually lived there, but she was in the temple all the time. She was worshiping, she was fasting with prayer, all day, all night. she was desperate. This is a picture of someone who's desperately waiting for redemption, and God gives that to her. God lets her come and see the Messiah. She's a, she's a picture of the kind of person who receives Jesus. The kind of person who is waiting and looking and longing for redemption. Simeon is a person who is waiting and longing for consolation, for comfort. For consolation, for, for all of the suffering and hardship. She's waiting for redemption, for freedom, for forgiveness. Together they're a picture of, of How God comes to all those who are waiting for consolation and redemption. Are you waiting for consolation? Are you waiting to be consoled? Are you in sorrows? Are you in a period of sadness? Are you looking for your guilt to be taken away? Are you looking for your shame to be removed? Are you looking for freedom? The good news is is that Jesus is given to all those who are waiting consolation and redemption. And God speaks to us and he gives us his son. I, I love this, this picture of Anna. She's a, she's a woman of prayer and fasting. And, and you know, as, as we're thinking about our goals, and one of our goals is, is to plead and, and pray that God would, would answer our prayers, we have hope that, that he does exactly that. And he's answered the, the prayers and the pleading of Anna after at least 84 years. And she comes up, and, and, and he's the answer to all of her longings. And so she immediately then, what does she do? As soon as she receives Jesus, as soon as she sees him, as soon as she sees that he is the redemption of Israel, she goes and she tells everyone about him. She was so excited, this old woman. She is so excited. She goes and tells everyone about the redemption of Israel, the one who brings true freedom. And I think that's the, the natural response if you really understand Jesus as your redeemer, that he's redeemed you, that he's, he's bought you back. You no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness, but now you belong to his kingdom of light. He has set you free from sin, from shame, from guilt, from condemnation. question is, do you... See Jesus, do you know Jesus as your redeemer? Have you received him as your redeemer? If so, are you telling other people about him? So often I think that the the reason why we are lax in our evangelism is because we are lax in our understanding of the fact that we are a redeemed people. Do you get that? You're a redeemed people. That you have the ultimate consolation in redemption and redemption in Jesus Christ. I think the more aware we are of, of Jesus as our redeemer, and he's the answer to all our deepest long, longings and needs, the more we're going to go and tell everybody about, just like Anna did. Now, something else important in the text that we need to see is that, is that Jesus, he's not just, he doesn't just come to those who need consolation or redemption. He is qualified to save all those who are waiting. He's qualified to save and, and, Matt, and Luke does something very unique here. He talks about Jesus' qualifications from his birth all the way until he's 12 years old. He's, he's wanting to show us that Jesus is qualified in every way. He's qualified as a member of God's people. He is circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. He was dedicated to the Lord according to the law. And, and, he, and he actually says that three times. According to the law... His family did everything. He was raised in a good Jewish family with devout parents. He was commended. He was qualified from the very beginning. And then he's obedient as a child. And he's born like every other human baby. He's qualified to share in all of our sufferings, all of our experiences. As a baby, he had to grow. It mentions that twice, that that he grew in stature and in wisdom Do you get that? Jesus was fully man. That's what Luke's drawing our attention to. Fully man. He actually had to learn. Somehow in in his divinity, he was both fully God and fully man. And yet in his divinity, he did not take advantage of of all of his eternal knowledge. And as a a man, he had to grow in his knowledge and understanding. That is mind-blowing. That Jesus had to learn how to walk how to talk. Jesus had to learn his Hebrew alphabet. He had to grow and develop. He was dependent. He needed to eat and sleep and go to the bathroom like everybody else. He was a full member of God's family. He And his whole family, they perfectly kept the law in every way. And then Luke also shows that they go up every year. They are a devout family. They are obeying God in every way. Even as a child, he obeyed God in every way. It says the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. Not just because he was Jesus God, because he was Jesus the man who was growing and obeying and learning and learning to apply wisdom and God's favor was upon him as a man. Just like God's favor is upon everyone who learns and grows and becomes strong, filled with wisdom as a man or a woman. And, and wisdom is not just knowledge, but it's the ability to apply knowledge. So he wasn't just taking in information, but he was learning how to apply that wisely. You know, there's a difference between knowing the speed limit, 20 miles an hour in a school zone, and, and actually doing it. His wisdom, because often there's police officers sitting there, knowing it is fine, but you're blowing past it at 65 is not very wise. Jesus, he grew and he was filled with wisdom. He knew how to take what he had learned and what he was learning as a young boy and applying it. And then his parents, they go up every year, it says to the Passover feast. What's Luke drawing attention to? He's drawing attention to the fact that they were a devout family. They, They went to all of the feasts as commanded. And they didn't do the bare minimum because that would have been two days. He says they stayed the whole time until the feast was over. They obeyed as a covenant family. That encourages me, by the way, Jesus as a man, he was a normal man, a normal boy. And God bless that. There's something parents about about being faithful in honoring God, faithful to the commandments faithful in training up our children in the way to go and when they're old our hope is that they won't depart from it. There's something about attending his gathering, the gatherings of God's people on a regular basis together that God blesses and they're not just giving lip service and telling Jesus what they believe, they make it a priority. And by the way, only Joseph would have been required to go up to the Passover feast and yet the whole family goes because they're Making it a priority to worship God together, and this is like a three-day trip from Nazareth down to Jerusalem, and it it would have been difficult to make that trip together, and they would have to take some time off—three days on one end, three days on the other end. They stayed for seven days. That's a long time to take off work. But they were committed to public worship of God, and Jesus followed their example all the way into adulthood, and they go up there for the Passover feast in the Passover, it was all about the people of Israel trusting in the provision of a lamb for them. That if they slaughtered this lamb, they put the blood over the doorpost, that the angel of death would pass over them. But here's the thing, the angel of death did not pass over the firstborn of the children of Egypt. And it was because of the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt that the people of Israel received their freedom. And so they're going up to celebrate this fact. I think Luke's also giving us a hint that this is Jesus' first known celebration of the Passover. They've probably gone years before, but this is the one he is, he is consciously going up as the son of God. Knowing that one day, he, the firstborn son, who was dedicated in this scene, he's, he's one day gonna give his life, that's what he's dedicated to, giving his life at the final Passover. For all who trust in the gift of this firstborn son. And so when he's 12 years old, he says he goes up according to the custom. They had a custom that was called, that was, it was what we call today bar mitzvah. What it means is that they, they become a son of the commandment when they turn 13 and at 12, they're supposed to go up and, and follow the rites of Passover so they can learn how to perform the Passover ceremony with the parents. And so he was devoted to, to learning what it looked like to be a man. And he had to obey his parents. And we're going to see at the end of this passage that he did obey his parents. And he, he probably had to put up with the same issues we had with siblings who obviously didn't think much of him. He probably put up with neighborhood bullies. He had to learn and study scripture. He went through normal childhood misunderstandings as well. And he gets left behind. He, he went and stayed at the temple. Now, he was going and staying at the temple because he's the son of God. And he's going to explain that later to his parents. He's not, he's not being disobedient. That's, that's where, of course, I'd be with my dad. You know, if you're an adoptive child and, and you find out who your true father is and you find out that they are a good person, you want to be with them. That's normal. Jesus, he knows he's the son of God, and so he stays at the temple. But they don't know that. He's a normal kid with normal misunderstandings between his parents. They, they leave him behind. They go a whole day's journey away. And then they probably freaked out. I can only imagine that. I was left behind for a whole day, by the way, when I was a little kid. Uh, my parents, they stopped at a rest stop. We were traveling with three other families. We were all in different vehicles, and we stopped at a rest stop, and I went to play at the Jungle Gym set, and we were having a great time until we saw the cars pulling away, and then we had a lousy time after that. They had no idea. It was the 70s. There's no phones, no Internet, no Find My Kid you know, app. And so they drove away, and they realized it 300 miles later, and they, <laughs> relax, they found me, I'm, I mean, I'm here. Um, they, found, they found out 300 miles later when they stopped for dinner and gas, and kind of like this family probably, they'd look around, they're like, oh, hey, I, I thought Matt was in that car. No, he's in that car. I thought he was in that car. Was he in the motor home? No. Oh, and the same kind of thing happened with Jesus. And so they would would travel in these large caravans, and they would all go from the same village together in these caravans with relatives and friends and family, and and they'd they'd all go together. And so they realized, oh, my gosh, where's Jesus? He he grew up in a normal family with normal parents who were wigged out, who weren't really happy that he had decided to stay behind. And and he hadn't mentioned that because he just assumed, there was misunderstanding, he assumed that they would know that he was going to stay in Jerusalem and stay in the temple. And so they come back. I can't imagine, by the way, the trip back as parents or that night. When they they realize at night they're not going to travel at night, so they have to wait all night long. It's doubtful that Mary slept or Joseph. And so they they get up as soon as it's first dawn, and they're probably looking at every little area where he potentially could have gotten lost or fallen or gotten hurt. And they go back into Jerusalem, and they are checking everywhere places where they stayed, where he must have been playing where they were for the week. And she gets back and she's a little upset. She was astonished. And she says, why did you treat us like this? Your dad and I, we've been searching for you the whole time. And we've been in great distress. And Jesus isn't being a smart aleck. He he genuinely was surprised. Because he wanted to be as close to his father as possible. He knew who he was. He knew he's the son of God. Now he knew that as he preparing to be a man, that he knew what his purpose was. And he wanted to learn about that. He wanted to learn about what the scriptures said about him. And so he's asking insightful questions. That was a, a question and answer kind of way of learning in the temple. So he was asking questions to teachers, and then, then they would give answers, and then he would respond, and people were amazed at his response. And his parents were astonished, and he says, well, why were you looking for me? He's, he's not disobeyed his parents, but there was a misunderstanding. He wasn't thinking. He was clueless like a 12-year-old, probably, in some sense, as a person. I own own sounds crazy to say Jesus as a kid. He didn't understand that his parents didn't understand where he was at. But he says, why, why were you looking for me? He wasn't being sinful here. He wasn't being smart Alec. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Clearly they didn't. And Luke's showing us that they didn't really understand who he was. He's contrasting something here between Simeon and Anna and his parents who really didn't understand who he was, but they should have fully understood who he was. And and his first words in Scripture, he says, don't you know that I must be in, and he says something here that's unique in Scripture, that for the first time anywhere in Scripture he says, my Father's house. Jesus knows who he is. God is not just our Father collectively. In the Old Testament, the the word for Father in reference to God is only used 14 times, and all 14 times it's all used generically as our Father, the Father of the nation of Israel. But, But Jesus says, my Father. And then throughout the Gospels, he uses that term 66 times. He says, my father, because he knows who he is, he's the son of God. He's not just qualified because he is a human and fully human in every way. He's qualified to be the salvation of Israel because he's also the very son of God. So he says, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? And he says, they didn't understand what he spoke to them. You see, he knew that his identity was absolutely central to his mission on earth. His identity is fully human and yet fully God. He knew he was the chosen Messiah, and, and they should have known it too because it was declared to them so many times through an angel, through Simeon, through Anna, the shepherds. He said, didn't you know? Even though Joseph was his earthly guardian and father in that sense, adoptive father, he knows Jesus that God is his real father but they didn't get that they didn't understand that Jesus is both man and god fully but then you know what Jesus does he 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 doesn't assert his rights he submits himself he humbles himself and he was obedient. He, he earned the right to be child, called a child of God by being obedient, by obeying all the commands. And what does he do? How does he respond to them? He, he goes back to Nazareth with them and he submits to them. It says, he submitted to them all of his days. And then he finishes the summary of Jesus' childhood by saying that he increased. He continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was fully qualified both as fully man and fully God, to take our place as our salvation. Now, in applying this passage to our own lives, I don't want to miss out on the contrast that we've seen. We've seen this contrast between Simeon and Anna, who immediately inspired by the Holy Spirit, their eyes were open; they recognized who Jesus was, they received him as their salvation, and then you have at the end of the passage, you have his parents who have heard this multiple times, and yet they still don't really understand his true identity. And so we're really left as readers asking ourselves, do we recognize, not just have head knowledge, but do we recognize and receive, do we recognize and respond to Jesus as our salvation? Do we recognize him as our salvation? Now, maybe you're a Christian, you're like, yes, I know Jesus is my salvation, but do you really recognize and receive him on a daily basis like that? Do you recognize that he is your consolation? He's your redemption? He's been appointed for the fall and the rise of many. If you don't recognize who he is, he's appointed for your fall. If you reject who Jesus is as the salvation given to us by God, he's appointed for your fall. If you receive Jesus as your salvation, he is appointed for your rising. Rising from the dead in this life. Rising to new life. Rising to a new creation. But also, as we wait for his return, we're no longer waiting for our salvation, but as we wait for his return and the culmination of our salvation, we know that one day he's appointed for our final rising as well. And and so... I think what Luke's trying to get us to see is you can't be ambivalent about him. Don't be undecided about Jesus. You can't be ambivalent about Jesus without rejecting him. You can't say, oh, I'll decide later. You see, to be ambivalent about God's chosen means of salvation, who was appointed for the fall and rise of many, is to say, God, I, I really don't care. I'm not interested. He doesn't matter. Now, as Christians, we can, we can also, at times, not receive him daily. He is meant not just for our once-and-done consolation and redemption, but Jesus, every day, we're to receive him as our comfort, as our consolation, each and every day. He's the one who consoles us in our sadness. He is the one who fulfills all the desires and longings of our heart. He is the one that we go to when we've sinned and we can be consoled, knowing that He's removed and taken all of our sins on Himself, that He lived a perfect life in our place, and that He credits us with that perfect righteousness. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you aware of your need for consolation? Are you looking to Him for redemption? You know, what are you you longing for? What are you desiring? What are you hoping and waiting for that's not Jesus? And so often we can be dissatisfied when we get what we're hoping for and realizing it's not all it was cracked up to be. I think that's good because we're not meant to be satisfied in, in lesser things. It doesn't mean life will be easy. And by the way, Mary's life was hard most of her life and then she had to watch her own son be killed and not get it. But she did get redemption, she did get consolation. Are we longing for Jesus? Will you receive him, will you recognize him as the son of God, will you respond to him? Are you waiting for him like Anna who is desperate aware of the redemption that she had received. And then when she receives that redemption, she goes and she tells everyone, are you as affected like that? Are you trusting in him as your merciful gift, as God's merciful gift to you for for salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation? If so, then you can be sure that he's been appointed for your rise to new life now and ultimate life to come and he comes to all those who look for him. We don't have to wait any longer for salvation. Jesus has come. How will we respond to him though? What what will our life look like as we wait his return? And what will what will will we respond to him like Anna? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us receive your gift of salvation. Lord, for all those who don't know you, I pray that they would initially receive the gift of salvation that you have for us in Jesus Christ, that we would would repent of sins and receive the gift of Jesus as the forgiveness of sins. Receive the gift of new life that we have in Jesus. Receive hope and freedom and redemption. And God, for each and every believer here, Lord, I pray that we would receive your consolation in Jesus Christ, your comfort, your hope. Lord, that we would receive daily our, our freedom from sin. The redemption that we have, that, that we are no longer condemned. And God, I pray that we would rejoice in that, in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.